Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, anxiety, emotion regulation, how to support people, especially kids and teens, but adults too. Everything we talk about is relevant for adults as well, uh, how to manage those big emotions. Uh, very excited today. have another special guest. We're going to be talking all about mindfulness, Claudio Barrientos. Uh, Claudio was raised in Spain and Connecticut. He's an avid traveler with an endless curiosity of people, culture, food, philosophy, and psychology. He has an undergraduate degree in philosophy and theology from University of San Francisco and a master's degree in social work from the University of Texas, San Antonio. And he is working as a licensed master social worker. As a therapist, Claudio, uh, his approach is informed by both his personal practice of mindfulness, meditation, and his desire to make mindfulness relatable to anyone seeking relief from the daily stressors of life. I have all of his other information in our show notes, so be sure to check that out if you want to reach out to him and check out his work and ask him any questions. Um, but like I said, we're going to be talking all about mindfulness today. Hope you enjoy. Well, thank you so much, Claudio, for joining me today. I am very appreciative to have you on the show. Thank you so much for um, allowing me to be here, Caroline. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking about mindfulness and kiddos and emotions. Well, yes, it's all everything that I talk about. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work? Sure. Um, I guess first and foremost, I'm a mindfulness-based therapist. So for the last 12, 13 years before I became a therapist, I was a mindfulness instructor. And only in the in 2020 did I decide to go back to graduate school and get my master's in clinical social work. And the reason, the purpose for that was that I really wanted to incorporate so much of the mindfulness instructions that I was offering in corporate settings or in clinical settings. I wanted to really combine that with um, clinical approach. So when I, you know, when I graduated in May of 2022, so just very recently, I took my licensing exam and I got my license. Um, the very first thing that you have to do is fill out that psychology today profile yeah, and yeah. write up like who you are and like your approach and all this. And I kept coming back to my original purpose for going to graduate school, which was incorporating mindfulness in everything that I do in a clinical approach. So I decided to go with mindfulness-based therapist because I think that really um, points to the framework that I that I'm using when I work with clients, whether they be children, um, adolescents, or adults, it's uh, begins and ends with this framework of mindfulness. So that's what I'm doing now. That's part of my job. And then the other part at the Austin Mindfulness Center is um, teaching workshops, just psychoeducational programs, you know, for the for the masses. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds great. And I'm going to get to that mindfulness piece and how we can incorporate that because that's a big piece of the work that I do. But I'm I'm really interested in your journey. How did you get to this interest of mindfulness? That's, um, you know, um, the journey is, it's always a very personal one for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. I can tell you that um, I graduated my, from my undergrad in 1999. 
from University San Francisco, University of San Francisco, and I studied philosophy and theology. So uh, very pragmatic and very practical stuff, right? For like contemporary American society, not at all. My dad was very confused about that right there. Um, and so was my mom. But I was, I think that kind of pointed to something that I was very curious about, which was like, how is it that I can live a meaningful life? And my response to that right after college was to go into the film industry. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I um, I wanted to be a producer. I wanted to produce films. And I moved out there and I moved to LA and worked at a below the line agency. So it was, uh, I, my, my big foray into the film industry was being an agent, working my way up in the, um, in the, in the, agency that I worked at right there. And my mentor, the president of the agency was this incredible human being um, that took me under his wing and taught me so many precious things about negotiations and managing people, which I still carry today. It's unbelievable how much he taught me in therapy. I'm saying he wasn't a therapist, obviously no, he was no. an agent, yeah, yeah. but like certain principles are timeless. And this very special man um, offered me the, 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 the job that I was waiting for the three and a half years into that position. And that was the day that I left him, the, the day that I was supposed to start that big job, get my own office. I was like, I really had a moment of existential crisis or, you know, or existential just like questioning, like, what am I going to, what is, what is my life going to be like? And I looked at my peers and it was, um, on one hand, a beautiful life. You're working with very creative folks in a very creative industry. But on the other hand, it was a very stressful life. And one that was filled with a lot of, um, there was some, some vices, let's just say that. Mm. And I saw myself going down a path which... I didn't know whether, you know, going back to like college and lead, lead, uh, living a meaningful life, I don't think that that was going to be a meaningful life for me. Yeah. So, yeah. So I left that, I left that industry. My, my mentor, that person um, ended up uh, taking his life, which was a huge, huge moment for me because that was like the final, like, shove that I needed to say get out of the film industry and pursue something meaningful and that's when I moved to New Mexico to study with James Duvall and Michelle Duvall the Mindful Center people that I had known for 25 years um, and I did a two and a half year teacher training program with them helped them grow the business as well because I had that marketing and business development background and after two and a half years with the blessing of Michelle and Jim, I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee and started my own mindful center called the Mindful Center Knoxville. Wow. Yeah. So, right. A, a long, a long path. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. We it's, funny. Own, it's funny you know? how, you know, where we end up. I, I know even for me, I, this is not where I thought I was going to be you know, and not where my, certainly not where my parents, everyone's like, you're a psychologist. We thought you're going to be a lawyer or a cop or, you know, like all these other things. And at one point I was going to LA to be an actress, right? So our, our, our paths go in all sorts of different ways. So it's kind of interesting that way. 
Um, and, and I think that would be a whole other fantastic Absolutely. discussion to have as well, yeah. right? Uh, but bringing it back, the focus for today, I really wanted to talk about um, mindfulness and, and instilling that practice for our children and our teens. Mm. I, I do a lot of anxiety work and, and a huge piece of that is mindfulness because if we don't have mindfulness, we get carried away in sure, rumination sure. and anxiety and all of those kinds of things. So maybe you can start us just talking about the importance of mindfulness and we'll uh -huh. get into how do we, you know, start that practice, but from your perspective, that importance of mindfulness and teaching our kids early. Sure. Sure. So, you know, I came into teaching mindfulness after I was teaching adults. So the adults that would attend my workshops and my programs, they would uh, come to me and say, Claudio, um, I, I love, I love the practice. But I want to teach my children this practice, but they will not listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> can you come? Can you come and teach my kiddos about mindfulness? And I just started, you know, creating a, a a loose curriculum around that, you know, trying to adapt some of these teachings of mindfulness for adults, trying, you know, adapt that to children and various ages of children as well. You know, teens are going to respond very different than 69-year-olds, uh, than the 10 to 13-year-olds and so forth. So I guess that the the heart of this practice of mindfulness, it's the same that we, it's the same reason that adults practice. I want to say it's the same reason that children should practice. The cornerstone of all mindfulness is self-awareness. It's just knowing what is happening as it's happening um, on the inside right? And on the outside with certain attitudes of like curiosity and non-judgment and compassion. So just by breaking down that def that definition of knowing what's happening as it's happening on the inside, like on the inside is really important for children. So how is it that they can begin to learn a language that a lot of stuff is happening on the inside, like thoughts are happening on the inside, Emotions are happening on the inside. Body sensations are happening on the inside. Wishes and motivations and desires are happening on the inside. Mm -hmm. So it's this process of first and foremost, um, guiding them to something that they are already experiencing in their lives which is the same thing that we all experience in our lives, these thoughts, these emotions, these body sensations. And then transferring that also, or I should say incorporating that also into what is happening on the outside. So we have to like this embodied presence of ours, right? And then it doesn't end there though, because we are relational human beings. Mm -hmm. So how is it that we can incorporate others into our practice? And that's where like the whole relationship skills and nurturing friendships and being kind to one another, being a kind listener and a kind speaker, you know, that that's really important for that. Mm -hmm. And especially with, with kiddos, because they, you know, they deem their relationships. So it's like, it's really, it's really important to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's so many pieces here. So uh, and I want to, I, I mean, we could go down so many different mm -hmm. 
avenues just based on what you said. And, and I think that you raise an important point about what's happening inside because so many kids, especially when we're looking at anxiety, that intero, interoceptive understanding, what's happening in my body, they just, so many kids have such a hard time with that. They're so detached. They're like, I don't know, mm-hmm. just my, my chest hurts, but they can't describe it. And it's their whole body. And it's, you know, they, they can't, really just sit with it. And when and I think we've created the society, if it's just, I want it to go away, make it go away, mm-hmm. make it go away, make it go away. But by pushing away, we're actually just making it stronger and, and mm-hmm. worse. So just looking at this concept of mindfulness, and you said, you know, every age has a different need. So depending on the need, how would we introduce this concept of mindfulness for where so, they're at? So for example, Right now I'm on week, on Saturday, I just taught week two of a five-week workshop. And going back to week one, um, the five-week workshop, I have 69-year-olds and 10 to 13-year-olds. So I have two distinct groups, right? And on the 69-year-olds, I introduced, the first thing that I asked them is like, what do you think mindfulness is? Like, what do you, some kids... Some kiddos have heard about it. Um, I, if they haven't heard of mindfulness, I'm like, well, have you heard of meditation? And there's always, it's unbelievable what they already know. They use words such as calm and focus um, or or like a monk, you know, like that's kind of like the imagery that kiddos will have at that age. Um, so it's first about asking them, which I think that's really important. One thing that I try to do with, with children that I work with is I already, I try to tap into the wisdom that they already contain within themselves that, that they may not know about it. So it's kind of like the Socratic method in that regard, just trying to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. So that's really, um, I think that's perhaps, you know, really reflected on this right now. I think that's why I think I really love working with children because you have to be very nimble about asking questions yeah. and redirecting. So with the 69-year-olds, everyone knows like super, um, uh, what are they called? <laughs> um, like uh, Superman and their, what, what are they called? Action heroes. My Action goodness. heroes, yeah. There you yeah, are. <laughs> so everyone knows superheroes. Everyone, every kid knows superheroes. So I ask them, hey, what's a superhero that you know? And they, everyone starts going around. I love The Flash. I love, you know, um, Superman. I love Iron Man, whatever. And, and then I ask, what superpowers do they have? And they, you know, so you, you engage the kiddos in dialogue. And then I say, okay, well, I'm going to teach you about a superpower that we all have. And that's the superpower of mindfulness. And in the super in mindfulness, our superpowers is our ability to pay attention to our senses. And how many senses do we have? And the kiddos go, well, smell and seeing and tasting and hearing and touching. Like, wow, that's amazing. So what if we had the power or the ability to really pay attention with our senses and to pay attention with, a, with certain attitude, kindness, and patience, and I kind of tend to choose one attitude and allow that attitude to be carried on throughout the, the workshop for that particular day. 
So on week one, it's patience, right? Because I want them to practice that as well as I'm teaching them. So it's a little bit of self-motivation there, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> self-interest there. But uh, I'm like, okay. So now I incorporate little exercises that will allow them to pay attention to each of the senses in isolation. So one at a time. So awareness of hearing. I have my meditation bell and I ring my meditation bells and I say, just listen. Listen to the beginning, listen to the middle, listen to the end. And then that's awareness of hearing. And then with smell, like I have lavender um, uh, oil, essential oil. Yeah. And I put that on a feather and I, I run the feather across their nose. In awareness of smell. And then awareness of touch. I give them like each an individual object that they, I want them to close their eyes, put out their hand and just feel the object. So just like, you know, just isolating the senses and having them, and I, you know, I kind of make a game out of it, like turn on hearing super, superpower of, of, of listening or turn on superpower of taste. With taste, I, I bring in like a little chocolate, a little kisses chocolate. And that's where I say, now we can practice with all the senses mm -hmm. because with mindful eating, you can, you can do the whole thing. All five senses are engaged. And then, in, and then I introduce a sixth sense with mindfulness. And I said, in mindfulness, we have a sixth sense and that's called thinking consciousness. So right there and then creating like this pretty, like, useful and i don't think anybody that teaches mindfulness would say no that's not mindfulness right right and it's practical and it's evidence-based and it's the foundation to mindfulness for children and for adults yeah and those are skills that they can start bringing just into their awareness every single day like you said it's practical and i think that a lot of people mix up meditation I, I remember trying to teach mindfulness to my girls but it was sitting like i've got a video of them the one is maybe 18 months so the other one's maybe just turning four and they're sitting there you know they're they're uh, hands on their knees going oh and then you see the little one just fall over and then the other one starts kicking and now they're playing feetsies but mom's got her eyes closed so we got to be quiet but I was filming them and they're so quiet right but they're just like rolling around but it's those moments and, and I think that that's the one thing you know how do we bring our attention back to this moment this specific time you know and in, in whether I'm holding you whether I'm eating a chocolate, I only need, I eat chocolate every day after, after dinner, but it's only one piece. And people are like, like my girls will just shove it in their mouth. They're like, how can you eat just one piece of chocolate? And I'm like, well, it's that my, I only need that much because it's so filling, you know, emotionally and just senses when you take that time, right? You slow it yeah. down moment by moment. I have to say that out of all the exercises, so there's some magic with the mindfulness bell. Yeah. Just because I can have a room filled with like energy and they're running, the kiddos are running around talking, blah, blah. blah. And then the moment that I ring that bell, I don't, I, I've seen it. They all just quiet and yeah. they like, they know that it's time to do something. So that's really cool. But out of all the 
little practices or exercises or meditations, formal or informal that you can do. But mindful eating is awesome. I worked with children with autism and that was one of the, like their, like the moms were like, the mindful eating, like he, he loves to practice. They love to practice that at home. Right. So, you know, with, with teaching the kiddos at the end, like I always leave 10 minutes at the end of class to talk to this, to speak with the parents. Sometimes the parents are in the classroom. Sometimes they're not. But at the end of the class, I want to like review what, what we covered and why we covered it. And then I want to like, hey, the essential attitude that we practiced this week was patience. Why don't you work with your child and allow that to be the theme for the week? Or maybe it's curiosity. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's trust. Or maybe it's kindness. And whatever it is, you provide the, and I know homework is a dirty word, but you provide <laughs> that homework to the kid, to the parents, and you allow them, you empower them now. Hey, you practice with your kiddos. And do you give them, you know, I love that, you know, working on this sort of the attitudes that we need to sort of develop to help our kids grow each of these. Do you give anything prescriptive, anything like this is, some ideas on how you can practice patience, for example, or do you just leave it up to them and hope I, for the best? I, yeah, <laughs> I leave it, you know, I, I try not to be too prescriptive yeah. because the moment that, I, what I have found is the moment that you are too prescriptive, the moment that the listener doesn't follow the prescription, they think that they failed. Right. So I'm like, I, I say really simply, What's a way that you can practice patience with your kiddo? And, <laughs> you know, uh, like, for example, this week two was on Saturday. The parents came back on week two at the beginning. They were like, oh, we practice patience with, the, you know. And I said, did you practice? I'm, and I asked the parents, I'm like, did you have a chance to practice patience yourself? And the parents just look at me. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's like. Right. So the parents become the vehicle. It's kind of like they become the mirror. Um, It's an opportunity to reflect what patience looks like. Mm -hmm. It's an an opportunity to reflect what kindness looks like. And it's also like a great like area to explore in real time with your child and have a, you know, it could be a 30 second conversation, a minute conversation when you pick them up from school, you know, hey, what's What's one one kind thing that you saw or heard or did? Yeah. Hey, so. Well, I think that those are, that's where I was thinking, you know, just having those conversations. And if you were going to use on patients, for example, I think, and this is something that I do in all of my work, especially when I'm working on behaviors, you know, parents bringing in this behavioral kid. And I talk about the emotional brain or anxiety or whatever. It's not the kid. It's all of us. We all have an emotional brain. And I talk, I talk about it as Loki. So I do draw from super superheroes, you know, he's can be self-serving, but it's about being awareness so that the emotional brain doesn't take over and try to trick us. But having this conversation, because patience for you, kiddo, we're going to work on this together. But for you, it might be some delayed gratification. I want Mm -hmm. my iPad now, or I want my marshmallow now. But for me, patience 
parents is in the morning when I'm trying to rush you and we're getting stressed out the door. So we're going to work on this, but you know, it's not going to look the same from me to you to dad, you know, maybe dad's patience is on the computer, you know, we, whatever it is, like there, we sure. all have our area and how can we work on that together? And I think that that's a great conversation starter, but we can help support each other. Now we're all working on the same team mm. against this, you know, henchmen of demandingness or impatience, you know? Sure. And so how can sure. we look at that? I think that's great. And I, and, and I love that that approach that you're saying, you know, it's like it's a it's a it takes a village kind of mentality, right? Mm-hmm. So how is it that because uh, so many times, not so many times, but I feel like a, a common pattern that I've picked up on is that parents may drop off their children to mindfulness because they want their child to be more mindful, more patient, more kind, more whatever, more right, self-regulated. And I think that they're missing an opportunity when they just drop off the kiddo just for that. Yeah. They're missing a huge opportunity, right? Because yeah. the child does now live in a vacuum. You know, the child is modeling behavior consciously or subconscious and subconsciously. So how is it that as parents, we can also cultivate that self-awareness and that emotional regulation and those relationship skills and social awareness and so forth? Yeah. That's really, I have found that the children that respond and develop these, these skills are the children that have parents that are developing these skills alongside their children. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do a lot of co-regulation too. And it's, I, I like working with parents first, even before I even see kids to mm-hmm. work on their skills and their ability to co-regulate and their awareness and all of these pieces. I think that's important. And then even looking, you know, at the two most significant influencers in our kids life especially in those early elementary years parents number one teachers number two and so this could be Mm. an easy classroom today class we are or this week we are going to be working on patience and so what are some ways as a classroom and and as individuals we can be working on this so just taking that because I know I do have a lot of teachers who listen to this podcast as well you know a class-wide sort of approach to this um so I think that there's so many different things that we could do there is there anything you know, so for the younger kids, some of those really practical sort of tactile working on the senses, which I suspect is the same. I mean, I do very similar things with my older kids, but are mm-hmm. there any other additional considerations for the older kids? Oh, the older kids are, <laughs> so it's, it's funny because like on one hand, the six to nine-year-old, they're full of energy. So you have to be able to, um, patiently work with that energy and channel it in ways that is conducive to themselves and conducive to the class. Mm -hmm. So that's really, it's challenging, but it's beautiful work. Like I I love it because you're not, I'm saying, uh, I haven't had a group of six to nine year olds that are still and quiet and don't want to participate. Right. Yeah. No. (laughs) Right. The tent, you know, and this is where like when you get into the teens, there is a little more awkwardness, feeling of awkwardness, feeling of, I don't want to be here. 
why am I here? Um, a lot of um, shyness and loneliness. So it's it's um it's a different it's a different vibe I find with the with this group that I have of ten to thirty they're old they they they're like old ten to thirteen year olds <laughs> right because you know sometimes they're young ten to thirteen yeah. years old yeah. and so I find myself just sitting with them and talking about these principles of mindfulness but doing so in a way that I can get their buy-in and I, whatever they say, whether, whether it's, um, whether it adds to the class or whether it's disruptive, I have found that in that particular age group, they're waiting for me to discipline them or they're waiting for me to get upset. Hmm. And that's like the last thing that I'm going to do. Yeah. So I'm really trying to be present with them and allow every opportunity, every, every eye roll, every, you know, I don't want to be here to be an opportunity of like, oh, cause I heard that from one of the students. Like, I don't, I don't, you know? And I'm like, well, you don't have to be here. You can leave if you want. It's like, no, I can't because then my dad's going to get upset. And I'm like, and here we are in a group of about six other people, right? And I'm like, hey, I turn it over to the classroom, to the kiddos. I'm like, hey, have you ever been in a, in a, in a situation like this? Where like, you're there, but you don't want to be there? And how does that feel? And just allow that bubbling up of this like negative emotion of aversion to be an opportunity to study it, to be with it. And to reflect and to allow the other children to be like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I must, I'm like, and I'm trying to empathize, you know, connect with the child. Man, it must be really hard to be here. Because you know that, you know, if you don't have, if, if you, if you leave, uh, what do you think is going to happen? There's going to be consequences with your father. So my invitation is always, well, what can we do in this moment? And just this little moment, what is what can we do to just alleviate or to reduce this angst or this aversion or this hate, whatever it is that's bubbling up? And maybe it's like your peer saying, Hey, I understand. Like, you know, I've been there, I understand what you're feeling. Maybe it's just an opportunity for that. And I love that because, I mean, there's a couple of things there. One is just being able to sit with it. And I, I think that shows, I mean, just the beauty of your ability as a clinician, because sometimes our ego gets in the way and it's, oh, I'm going to make this fun. I got to make it more inviting. And above it, you know, we try to change things rather, but, but then we're sending the message, see, this is a bad feeling, right? And so we yeah. got to get rid of that. So being able to sit, there are no good or bad feelings. This is telling us something important and it might be uncomfortable. It might be uncomfortable for me because I'm the one teaching the class, right? But ah. as being able to sit there with that, and I think that there, that is so, that's such an amazing lesson in and of itself. And something that I try to teach 
parents too, when our kids come to us and say, you don't love me, you know, you love sibling more, or I have no friends and we want to swoop in. No, 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 no. Let me tell you all the reasons why I love you. And let me tell you all the, we try to make it fix it. And they never have that opportunity to sit with it and be with it, but that's where coping is. And that's where mindfulness is. That's where life is. Yeah. That's, you know, um, I love what you say there. That's where coping is, right? That's where life is. Because if there's one thing that you can teach in that moment to that child that's having that really difficult experience of not wanting to be in class is, it's like, you know, it's like reducing, can you, can you do anything to reduce the suffering? And sometimes that anything to reduce the suffering is just sitting, breathing, looking around, being with each other, and allowing, you know, it's the the Marines have like this term, embrace the suck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like, this is, you know, as children, as as teenagers, especially, like they're starting to sense the like, I don't, I, I want us, uh, I want independence, but uh, I don't have the independence. I still have a mom and dad. So that's like, that's profound right there. Mm-hmm. Because if you can teach that child to be there present with the suck and not do anything, not disrupt class or not hate themselves or hate their parent in that moment, just for however brief that moment is, that's the start. That's the seed. That's the seed that you're planting. That's the mindfulness seed right there. And, and as, a, as a clinician or as a teacher, you want that seed to fruit. But you ain't going to see that fruit. And you as a parent, as a teacher, as a clinician must be able to accept that a seed is not the same as, as the fruit. Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. So. And we get in the way and we get in the way of that oh. sometimes. And I think that that's the piece that's that I'm always trying to, we got to let our kids embrace the suck because otherwise as adults, that's why we've got so many quick fixes is the minute I've got a headache, I'm going to take an Advil and the minute, you know, something doesn't go my way. I have a stressful day. I get a carton of ice cream and watch Netflix. And so we never really learn how to, cause life is full of suck, but it's also full of amazing little yeah. moments that, that pass us by when we're not being mindful. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in that um, we take, we take the passing by um, so casually. Yeah. Like we just, you know, and we, we do this as adults, but as children, it's very easy to see it in our kids as well. Right. Cause it's always, it's unbelievable how easy it is to pick up when somebody's not paying attention to you. Mm-hmm right? But it's much more difficult <laughs> for you to become self-aware in the moment that you're not paying attention to somebody else. Right. So this ability to notice what's happening on the inside and on the outside is essential to this practice. One of the things that I did with the 10 to 13 year olds was like, like four exercises with them. It's all about like interpersonal communication. So like sitting in partners, they face each other. And the first exercise that I did was, okay, there's partner A and partner B. Partner A describes their ideal vacation to partner B. 
and they do so just for 30 seconds. And partner B listens intently because after 30 seconds, you're going to be asked to repeat verbatim to the best of your ability what partner A said. So they do that. They go, they go back and forth, right? One time. And then on the second exercise is, okay, partner A, now you get to describe your favorite ice cream. Tell your partner B all about your favorite ice cream. But partner B, this time, you're not going to be listening intently. I want you to ignore partner, your partner. And you can do anything you want, but you just can't leave the chair. And I do that for 30 seconds. And then we process like, what, well, what did that feel like in the first instant? What did it feel like to like talk knowing that this person is listening to you, right? What kind of like verbal and nonverbal cues were you giving? What does it look like to actually be, be paying attention? Like there's a leaning in, there's a forward, there's eye contact, right? Like you're there with the person. And then in the second exercise, like, like I asked right away, is this familiar to anybody? And then everyone's like, everybody, mm-hmm. adults, yep. children, they all raise their hands. Yeah. Yeah, this is familiar. I know what it feels like to be ignored. Right? Yeah. So like, how did that feel? How did it feel to talk and share like your favorite ice cream flavor? knowing that your partner is not paying attention one bit and you see different like coping mechanisms that like the kiddos will do to try to get like they talk louder or some of them will just like kind of like just like um they shrink yeah right like they, they know that they're not being listened they know they're not being heard and then, like, how did it feel to, like, intentionally ignore somebody? Yeah. So, like, the core, <laughs> right? It's like, that's, mm-hmm. that's like, that's, I think for teens, that's really cool. Yeah. You can, you can do a lot of teachings around that. And the experiential piece is so important because we yeah, can talk, yeah. we can talk about yeah. it and they know it, they know it, but to experience it and be in the yeah. moment with it, that's, that's a totally different experience. Yeah. Yeah. The third exercise is the like same partners. Now I ask, okay, just check in, no talking, no, no, no verbal or nonverbal communication. Just check in with each other from, from time to time, just by looking at each other. Just that. Just bring awareness to your partner every now and then. You don't have to stare at their face, but just check in with them. Okay, that's the third exercise. And the fourth exercise is, okay, I want you to do the same, but this time I'm going to be reciting certain phrases. And all that I want you to do is just keep checking in with your partner, with your eyes, and then just listen to what I say. And if the words generate, the words that I say generate a feeling, that's okay. Just continue looking and checking in with your partner. And then I utter, what I do is I utter certain phrases, loving kindness phrases. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. 
and just like seeing what it would be like for a child to be sitting across another child that they just, you know, in this workshop, they just met them and they're connecting face to face and like one is sending kind wishes to the other and exploring that. Mm-hmm. So with teens, I think that that's really precious territory to explore. Absolutely. Because they want that connection more than anything. Well, that's great. That's and lots of practical ideas that people can implement. I, I used to teach um, graduate students for counseling, and one of the activities when we, in the Working Alliance class, I would have them. St- I would have them stare. You can't break eye contact, and I didn't yeah. say how long. And sometimes I'd go for ten minutes, and you can just see the awkwardness. But it's being able to sit with that silence because we want to yeah. fill in the gaps. And so being able to sit and what's coming up for you and some people burst out laughing, some people cry, some it's, you know, emotions all over the so much comes up. And I think that we miss out because we just want to swoop in right and and take away that awkwardness. So I think that that's very valuable. You're you're nicer and that they can look away. But uh, I think that that's something that our our teens especially need to. Yeah, I think with the teens, like I, I, I allow them to break eye contact, you know, because I think it's really hard for them. So hard for with anybody. Adults, absolutely. With adults, I'm like you. I'm saying this is usually week seven of the eight-week program when I teach this to adults. And yeah, it's like seven-minute facial awareness. It's called a facial awareness meditation. And that's where you're just there present. The object of the meditation is your partner's face. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth exercise is doing that, but with me reciting uh, certain loving kindness um, phrases. Right. But in that, I'm saying for adults, I've had couples do this. You know, I've had friends do this. I've had strangers do this. Yeah. And tears will come down. Yeah. They will flow. Because it's not very often that we're just with somebody Ooh. right like that 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 somebody's wholly listening wholly just being with us because there's always something on the go we've got something else you know they're multitasking like we just don't have that experience and I think that there's this release this emotional release when we're just there with another human being and that is exactly what your children want from the parents And I understand that it's impossible for the parent to be able to offer that every single moment. I understand that. But yet, I think that we are too flippant about the moments that we don't share that. Yeah. Yeah. We are like, oh, I I just don't don't have the time. Yeah. I just don't know. Not now. 30 seconds. 30 (laughs) seconds. Yeah. But it's finding, it's, yeah, just taking those moments as, as you can. I think that that's definitely something that we can all focus on. So, man, I know we could talk for hours and hours. I should probably wrap this up because people do have things that they need to do. Is there any last words of wisdom before we wrap up the episode for today? Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, um, Lance who's the CEO of the Austin Mindfulness Center. He's my co-host on the, on the podcast. Um, he loves John Kabat-Zinn. I love John Kabat-Zinn as well, because that's, 
he's kind of like I call him the godfather of mindfulness because everyone kind of like everyone has to kiss his ring you know yeah so that's just, I know that JKZ doesn't have that but um <laughs> there is one quote and it's from his documentary that Bill Moyers did on him healing in the mind and it's something like along the lines of like these moments these little moments they aren't so little they're your life like just like that right there Mm -hmm. these moments these little moments they ain't so little they're your life I love it. It's so true because we focus on the big and and I think we've talked about this before previously, just, you know, we want Disneyland, we want the big experience, but it's not Disneyland. It's the little moments on the plane or, you know, sitting on the park bench over here. Like it's just those little moments. It's not always big Disneyland, fun, glamorous, you know, so I love that. And I asked the parents like, like, well, I would ask anybody like reflect upon your own life what are the moments that you remember yeah they are the little moments it's Truly. unbelievable yep absolutely so, yeah sure there's some big moments in there too but they're just like these little moments of care of love connection so yeah love it that's a perfect way to end thank you so much for joining me on 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 the show today uh we i know i definitely appreciate your wisdom and you know how we can break this down and introduce mindfulness to kids absolutely and um if anybody always curious about more mindfulness off the cushion that's the podcast that uh that we produce at the austin mindfulness center i have to do that shameless plug no it's perfect and i will have your contact and i'll put the podcast in the show notes as well take care awesome thank you so much Thank you.